Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we've got an interesting game to discuss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 356. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to discuss the Eagles' week two loss against the San Francisco 49ers and begin to turn the page to next Monday's pivotal NFC East matchup against the Dallas Cowboys in prime time. We've got a ton to get to, so let's quickly set the table for the rest of the week. Make sure you go check out, number one, our Apple podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, we'll answer it. We've got a question from one of you at home today that we will answer. If you've got another one, jump on. We've got a couple games here under our belt in this Eagles season. If you've got a question about this team, about this roster, about this scheme, make sure you go leave it in our Apple podcast page, and we will answer it here in an upcoming show. And appreciate everybody that throws us your support. And make sure If you like what you're listening to, make sure you subscribe, and you can get the episodes sent right to your phone or your mobile device on a weekly basis. That said, make sure you also check out some more of my analysis. I wrote about the trench play uh, on Sunday, both on the offensive side and the defensive side for our post-snap read. You can go check that out on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. And then you can also watch all of these plays that we're breaking down over on the All-22 Review, which can also be found over on the PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, as well as on the Eagles YouTube page. So go check out the All-22 Review. You can see some of the game film, some of the All-22 that I was able to break down of this loss against the 49ers. Also, make sure you go subscribe to the Journey of the Draft podcast, breaking down. Look, uh, it looks like right now, Eagles potentially three first-round picks for next year is at least two. It's going to be a big draft. Make sure you go and know everything you need to know about this draft class. A lot of really interesting talent on both sides of the football in the 2022 NFL draft. That being said, let's now transition into this week's breakdown with Greg Cosell. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, time to talk some Eagles here as I welcome in NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, we are now just over 24 hours away from watching the Eagles fall uh, in the home opener to the San Francisco 49ers in Week 2. Uh, overall thoughts after watching the tape earlier today? Uh, I guess we'll start with the Eagles offense. You know, coming away, a lot of missed opportunities for certain, uh, but interested to get your thoughts just overall, big picture, walking away from that tape. Yeah, you know, it was an, to me it was kind of an odd game, particularly coming off last week's game when everything seemed so um, so clean. And I think much of that had to do with maybe it was the opponent, but I thought it was it ha- a lot had to do with the play calling. Um, I think what we saw last week against Atlanta was very early in the game, we saw a lot of almost no read throws, one read throws. This game just felt different. And as I was watching, I kept trying to get a feel for what the pass game is. I mean, obviously the game didn't start out great when they started with a wham play and and the D tackle just blew up Dallas Goddard and, and, you know, stopped Sanders for a two yard gain. And they came back to a wham trap. I think a couple of plays later didn't work, didn't work either. Um, But this game just to me and, and, 
I guess maybe just from watching tape for so long, I didn't feel like there was any kind of rhythmic feel to the offense. Mm. Um, and when, when I feel that way, it's hard for me to pinpoint Fran one play or two plays or, and, and I'm sure fans can say, Oh, if Jalen Rager just didn't step out of bounds. Oh, if we scored down in the red zone, when we got down there after the Watkins play, everything would have been fine. And, and by the way, those things all could be true, but that doesn't take away from the fact that, I just didn't feel that there was any flow offensively. I never got a sense of, oh, this offense is, is looking you know, pretty good. I'm really getting a good sense of what's going on here. I just didn't feel that way watching it. And I think that part of that is kind of like the, the risk-reward of being a little bit more aggressive. And I shouldn't even say yeah. a little bit more. I mean, last week in week one, uh, the Eagles had three – they averaged 3.6 – yards uh you know in terms of average depth of target for jalen hurts that was the lowest right. in the nfl week two that jumped up to 15 and a half which was the highest in the nfl and not only that greg i was talking about this with uh, with ben fennel earlier that number could have been even higher because you think about all the routes that they called uh in the second half that had receivers going way downfield that if jalen hurts had thrown it instead of taking right. off and scrambling like those, that number that 15 and a half could be even higher now some of that is by design because they're you know i think that they're in that situation they're happy with jalen hurts taking off and scrambling you know 20 yards for a first down 12 yards for a first down but uh, I, I do think that that's part of it is that you know when you aren't able to hit on as many of those shots clearly they were very aggressive you know whether they liked the matchups uh with the corners or whatever you know the the schematics of uh their, their zone coverage there on the back end for san francisco whatever it was they liked those matchups. They wanted to be aggressive and, and go for it. Uh, and they just weren't able to hit on them enough to be able to make San Francisco pay. Yeah, and I thought that on the first series when they went with that shot play, that play-action dude out of 11 with the reduced split formation, and they had Smith on the deep over route. He got on top of, of Tart. You know yep. the play I'm speaking about. I mean, that's a throw you got to make. I mean, that ball was underthrown by so much that he didn't even give Smith a chance to make a catch. And a little you know? bit late too, right? I mean, if he, if he, yes. when he's rolling to his right, if he go, if he's cocking back to throw that before he hits the hash, he might, yes. that, that ball's got enough mustard on it that he's going to hit Smith in stride. Smith's got the safety over the top. Uh, but since he waited a little bit longer, now all of a sudden that's a little bit more of a difficult throw. He's a little bit further downfield. It's a little bit more across his body. He's got to put more on it. And now he ends up uh, pushing it a little bit and it falls a little bit short. Yeah, which he clearly did, because when you yeah. see the way in which he threw the ball, he, he pushed that quite a bit. But, but you know, I don't have – and, again, I hate speaking like this like I'm smarter than coaches because I'm not. But I was about to say I, I don't have any problem with a play call and being aggressive. I mean, sure. the shot play. You know, obviously, when you go with a shot play on your first possession, Fran, as you well know, that's game plan. That's not random. You know, they believed, based on their film study, that that would happen. And it did happen. And, you know, I think you got to make that throw. Now, I'm not saying it's an easy throw. It's not like the the openers the week before where he's throwing uh, no read bubble screens to, to Quez Watkins. But still, that's a throw you have to make. And, yeah. and you know, maybe that'll happen down the road. Um, but after that, I just felt like it was it was kind of an odd offensive game. Um Hey, I had no problem with the play call on the on the Watkins play either, where he hit him for ninety one yards. Yeah, that was right. great. That was a great throw. It was an aggressive play call. You know, I don't think any of us have issues with aggressive play calls. Um, obviously, you can't just do that all the time, but they didn't. Um, mm -hmm. And even the Rager one, where he just you know he's got yeah, yeah. no question. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's 
it, those those are fine. I mean, you want to be aggressive, particularly when you've got speed at your receiver. I mean, look, they got Watkins, Smith, and Rager. They have a lot of speed on the perimeter. You want to attack, particularly a defense that was very questionable at the corner position, starting a rookie and Josh Norman, who, look, the league told you what Josh Norman is. He was on the street until a week ago. Yeah. So so that we don't have to interpret that, Fran. The league told us that. So, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the uh, trying to take some shots. But, you know, the thing about taking shots is you have to hit one or two. You know, you have to. Otherwise, they're just long incompletions. Right. I, they clearly were trying to go for some of those big explosive plays. Just couldn't put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Couldn't, fin- couldn't finish uh, on a number of them. And for some different reasons. You, you, you mentioned the Jalen Rager play where he steps out of bounds. Otherwise, that's a, a picture-perfect play. Uh, if, yeah. if Jalen Hurts gets the ball out a little bit earlier on the Devontae play early, you know, there was the, the sack fumble. Uh, that was a, a nice play where he had Ertz over the middle for a nice chunk you know, if he had pulled the trigger there, right? So, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah I, I looked at – I know the play you're speaking about, and I looked at that many times. I'm not sure he could have made that throw within mm. the timing of it. Um, you know, I think that would have been a really high, le- that would have been really high level quarterbacking. And it's no knock on Jalen Hurts, but he's only in his sixth NFL star. I mean, that's a Tom Brady kind of play to me. And maybe you felt differently, but I looked at that play 10 times thinking, should he have thrown that? Did he have time to throw it? And I came away thinking he didn't really. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just, it's, it was just one of a handful of plays where it's like, all right, like if this goes different, Maybe you feel a little bit differently overall uh, right. about the about the game and about the outcome, and certainly would have affected the outcome. I mean, that that Jalen Rager possession—that's uh, seven points that come off the board, and then yeah. it's a blocked field goal immediately after that. I mean, that's a seven-point swing, and it was a, a seven-point game. So I, I think when you're overall looking at, and obviously, look, that changes the outcome. Uh, but when you talk right. about momentum and the Eagles clearly had some momentum early in this game. Uh, it was in their favor, and just watching it live, you could just feel the air being let out of the balloon slowly and slowly and slowly. And by the time you got late second quarter, San Francisco gets into the end zone after that long drive, and now all of a sudden it, it feels like we're t- it's an uphill battle from that point on. But, um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And I think I think that Rager play is a good learning play for a second-year receiver because, you know, he can't – he just ran to the sideline. And you can't do that when you're, you know, you're running a vertical route because he basically took himself to the sideline. And and by the way, I thought he did that a couple of times a year ago. So that's something they need to continue to work on with him. But your point is correct because the 49ers went three and out on the first three possessions. Jimmy Garoppolo was not sharp at all through those first three possessions. He missed a number, missed of, number of throws. throws. Yep. Routine throws. You know, I mean, the reality is in the NFL, and this is the reality, and it's not me saying it. I've spoken to quarterbacks who say it, so I don't want people to think, oh, you know, you didn't play quarterback in the NFL. What do you know? You know, uh, I mean, I've studied it. I, You know, I think I know a decent amount, but this is coming from quarterbacks who say, you know, when you're clean in the pocket and your receiver is open, those have to be routine throws. Garoppolo missed, I think, three of those on the first three or four possessions, and, you know, those are throws he has to make. Yep. One thing I do like from the Rager play, uh, just watching him over the course of his young career so far, one of the things that he we've seen when he's dealt with contact mid-route as he has not always been able to finish the play. You know, maybe he's looking for a flag or you know he's pulling up late through contact. I like that he was able to fight through contact and finish, you know, get over the top and yeah. make the catch over the shoulder. 
You just got the, the awareness and the, it really it starts from the release. As you mentioned, you, you got to make sure you hold that red line, give yourself more room to work uh, outside towards the sideline, but so, certainly a teaching moment there for Jalen Rager. Uh, just with the, the rest of the offense in general too. Uh, it's interesting. You know, we talk about the difference from week one to week two, but it's still like looking at the numbers in terms of where they rank right now in the NFL uh, and kind of getting a sense of the idea, uh, identity of this offense. Eagles right now, second highest in terms of RPO percentage, second highest right now in terms of screen percentage. We're still seeing a lot of those defined plays in the offense where they were able to get some chunks, but you want to be able to see some more of those uh, explosives start to connect. But uh, that'll be yeah, something I mean, certainly think, to watch. I think because it was a home game, people are going to act like this is a big problem. And we don't know what's, you know, what's a problem or not a problem or what's good, not bad. But I don't view this game necessarily as an oh my god game, right? Now, don't forget, you also have a rookie head coach, um, and you only have what a second year play caller. You know, Steichen isn't this is only Shane, Shane Steichen, yeah, right, yep, yeah. So I mean, you know, and and again, I'm not saying I'm smarter than they are. Just looking at it logically, they're probably going through a learning curve as well. Don't forget, a lot of these players did not play together in the preseason. A game is different than practice, no matter how many times you practice against an opposing team, as the Eagles did twice with the Jets and the Patriots. That's not the same as playing a game and getting a feel for a flow of a game. So I think it's, you know, I think everybody's learning. And, you know, I don't want to I don't think this is any reason to think, oh, my God, there's big problems here. You know, it's just it was one of those games where I I just sensed they never quite got into a flow. And when the when the 49ers had that really lengthy. Well, two things. I think the Rager, the Rager uh, stepping out of bounds, you know, took the bubble out a little bit. And yep. also, obviously, the the not scoring when they got down to the one yard line that, you know, that changes everything. No question. And down there, it just comes down to, you know, execution and getting some movement off the line of scrimmage. A couple yeah. of plays that just got yeah. blown up. Uh, speaking of, uh, one of those plays was the Brandon Brooks injury. So I want to get, yeah. get your thoughts as well uh, on the rookie second round pick, Landon Dickerson. What did you think uh, overall of his performance? Obviously kind of getting thrust in there at right guard. Uh, thoughts on how he performed in his first NFL action? Yeah, I thought in the run game, I thought he had some really good snaps. I thought he showed point of attack strength, functional mobility, working to the second level. I thought he did a nice job in that area. I thought he had a few issues in pass pro, which is to be expected. Um, I, even though he played at Alabama, it, it's still college football. And I think that maybe just the speed with which things happen with pass rush at this level, particularly, uh, I think there was a stun or two where he just didn't seem – quite aware. And I think, you know, these are things that'll come with practice. He's going, I assume, Fran, he's now the starter, right guard. He was a second round pick. And if he's healthy, he's going to play. I assume. That would no be my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I thought in the run game, I thought he had some, some good snaps and he just needs some work in pass pro. Hmm. Uh, what did you think of one of the matchups we talked about coming into this game against the 49ers was Jordan Mailata, a big test going up against Nick Bosa and Arik Armstead. Overall thoughts on the left tackle's performance in this one. I thought I thought it was kind of how we discussed it last week in terms of, look, this is two great talents. You're not going to pitch a shutout against Bosa. I thought he had a couple nice reps against Mailata, but overall, not outclassed in the slightest, I thought. I thought Mailata had a handful of really good reps in pass row as well. I have to tell you something. I thought he played better this week than he did last week. I would agree. Yep. I, would agree. Uh, you know, I thought I thought that he just to me, you know, what stood out to me and I'm not an offensive line guru. So, you know, again, I, I you know, things I don't know. I, I just like to qualify occasionally. Know what you don't know, Greg. Know what you don't know. Right. I thought that he he played with much better balance. I thought he played with better knee bend and, and because he's a big man. 
there are times when he straightens up just because when you're six, eight, you straighten up. I mean, you're six, eight. Um, I thought he played with much better knee bend, therefore much better balance, and therefore he played with more power. And when I say power, I don't mean he was throwing people around. It just means that he doesn't get get moved. Because no matter how big you are, if you stand up too straight, you're going to get moved yep. in this league. And I th- I just thought he passed protected better than he did a week ago. I thought it was a positive. I, I thought it was a Really good example of something I believe we've talked about a couple of times here on the show, just over the course of talking about Mylotta during his development. And I go back to last summer, training camp of 2020, obviously a very strange training camp uh, from a big picture standpoint. But, you know, one of the issues you still saw from Jordan as he was still getting accustomed to playing the sport was that in pass protection, as athletic as he is, he's got outstanding physical traits. His feet are outstanding, his length, all that. When he would go to throw his hands at a defensive lineman in his pass set, his feet would tend to stop. And so if your yeah. feet are, if you've got great feet and you stop those feet, all of a sudden your feet don't look so great. <laughs> you give up the edge, well, you give up a soft corner. I feel like that's one of the things that has really improved with him over the last 18 months, 16 months, whatever you know, sample you want to throw on it is that and I thought Bosa, you saw a great example because Bosa, he's one of those rushers that anytime he throws his hands, he is always gaining ground. Well, Jordan was getting that getting that ground with him. He was not giving up any extra space to Bosa nope. running the arc. And I, I think that was a really good example of how far he's come in that area. And you know what? Having light feet and being a good athlete is not the same thing as having a really good coordination and connection between your upper and lower body yeah. in a technique-based deal. You know, pass pro, yeah, it's great. Look, we all watch college players and and – um, I don't know if you know who Mike Giddings is, but, you know, he talks about blue players, meaning, you know, mm. r- really high level players. If you're sure. in positions. You know, you can have blue feet, as it were, yep. as a um, as a left tackle or as a tackle. And that's great. And coaches love that because there's not 100 guys with blue feet. But if there's a disconnect between your upper body and lower body, no matter how blue your feet are and how light your feet are, you know what? You're going to have issues in pass protection. Yep. It's the difference between being fast and playing fast. We talk about it with every yeah. single position. Uh, and I think that when you see the light go on, like we've seen with Jordan over the last year and change, that's what it looks like. You're seeing a guy make that development. Now all of a sudden he's playing with more confidence. He's playing yeah. with better body control, all the things that you talked about earlier. And I think that this was a really good, and again, it was not a perfect game for Jordan. There were plays where he did, you know, he gave up a speed to power rush and he got rocked back. But I thought we saw recovery. We saw confidence and competitiveness. We saw all of those things um, from Jordan Mailata in this game. So I, I yeah. thought that was a really good sign for certain. Uh, right, let's go over the defensive side. Greg, at the end of the day, they gave up 17 points against one of the better offensive schemes in the NFL, a team that put up over 40 points a week ago against the Detroit Lions. You got to feel pretty good overall walking away from the defense. I know it was one of the last tapes you watched here today on Monday, uh, being so closely removed from watching the film. Overall thoughts watching that side of the ball. Well, first I'll I'll make a couple of I'll give you a couple of thoughts about just the Eagles defense as a whole. Yeah. If I could. I mean, they are a zone coverage defense. Yep. They have played the lowest percentage of cover one through two games of any team in the NFL. This is a zone coverage based defense. They play a lot of split safety. That's predominant. Um, we know what their profile is defensively. I just mentioned one thing zone coverage with split safety predominant and four-man D-line pass rush. They're among the lowest blitz percentage defenses in the NFL. So we know what their profile is, and they stayed with their profile. Now, your point is correct. They didn't give up a lot of points. They gave up two long drives. The only thing I'll say is we don't know how the 49ers would have played 
if it was demanded that they had to score 30 points. Because I thought, and again, not that we want to spend a lot of time on the Niners, but I think it does reflect the game. Um, I think the Niners played very conservatively, knowing that the game was playing the way it was it was being played. Um, so therefore there were a lot of short throws. I mean, use check the fullback. He normally plays a lot, but he played about 60% of the snaps. I mean, that's an awful lot of snaps for a fullback. Normally he's more in the 40% range. They did not play many snaps with three, three wide receivers. So, you know, I thought the Eagles overall did a, a, a really good job against the run game, given the fact that they play so much with, with split safeties. So I thought their front four and front two or, well, it's really their front five because in base, they really line up in a five man front with the Sam backer, either Avery or Johnson on the ball. Um, and then they play with two stacked backers, but I thought that group did a really good job. Yeah. Uh, I, to me, I think it's really interesting, Greg, and this is, when you have a defense like this, like the Eagles have, and we've talked about last week, we talked about what the identity seems to be, right? And it's that proverbial, uh, you know, the, the old bend but don't break, right? We're going to make you earn every inch. We're going to try and make you say we're going to you're going to move the ball incremental incrementally down the field, matriculate the football, right? And so uh, the Eagles start off in this game defensively with four three and outs, right? And yep. as a, as an offense. That's obviously very frustrating, and it can get you to say, all right, we're, maybe we need to push the ball a little bit. Maybe we need to be a little bit more aggressive. The Eagles haven't forced a turnover yet, but it's like we're going to make you make a mistake first. We're going to lean into that. You have to stay patient as an offense and stay disciplined as an offense when you go up against a defense like that. And I think that the, Kyle Shanahan, if nothing else, he is willing to stay disciplined and stay to his core beliefs. So you know what? We're going to run the football. We're going to move the ball incrementally down the football field. And, you know, if those X plays come, it's going to be based off yards after catch. It's still a small sample size, Greg, but I think it's telling that through two games, the Eagles have only had three passes attempted against them that have traveled more than 15 yards downfield. Yeah. Three passes in two games. That's insane. Not three completed, three attempted. And I think that speaks to the kind of, the kind of coverage they are playing. And look, we're talking about the opponents that they're playing too. And that's why it's still a small sample. But I do think it's interesting that that's the way that they're trying to force the offenses to be able to attack them. No question. And while I I agree with everything you said, I would just add that the the three and the zero allowed Kyle to be able to continue to do that. Now, I'm not saying, first of all, I don't think they're a just toss it down the field offense anyway. They're more of a a schemed offense where the bigger plays come run after catch, as we saw on the 40-yarder late in the second quarter, which by yep. the way, was, that was an unbelievable throw. By that Garoppolo. was That was Garoppolo's best throw of the day without question. Without question. Um, but I mean, that's, that's how the Niners offense is built, but I think both Shanahan and Garoppolo deserve credit for staying methodical yep. and patient, but the three and the zero allowed them to stay methodical and patient. And that's why, you know, and that's what makes that first half and some of those missed opportunities hurt, right? Is that, Correct. you know, if, if, you're able to connect on that Devontae Smith deep ball in the opening drive. If Jalen Rager stays in bounds on the deep ball down the right sideline, right? Like now that's a different, it almost is like what the game was last week in reverse where, you know, the Eagles, they fall down. uh, You know, you give up those two early field goals, but Hey, you know, we're still in this. It's not, we don't need to to freak out. We don't need to panic Uh, to quote Will Ferrell from old school. We got to keep our composure, right? It's not that I think it's the same kind of deal here, except it's the inverse where if the Eagles had hit on some of those big plays early in the game, that might change the outlook. That might change the temperament of Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe he's trying to press a little bit. Hey, you got Trey Lance breathing down your neck. I need a big play here. Uh, maybe now I'm forcing the issue. But, uh, you know, obviously that's not the way the game went. 
No, exactly. Um, but I thought, you know, look, you, you, I don't have anything really to add to your point because I think that's the whole concept of um, what Jonathan Gannon is trying to do. Yeah. And, and the idea that, hey, if, if the other, if the opponent can go 12 plays, whatever, 97 yards or 16 plays, 92, whatever those drives, well, I think, I think that's what it was, 12 and 97, yep. 16 and 92. I, on a certain level, you've got to tip your hat to the opponent, but that's, you know, but if the Eagles were scoring, the whole mindset of of building a long drive changes. Yep. And that's, you know, and I think that was the issue in this game is that the Eagles could not score. Yeah, uh, that was that, that was what certainly changed the dynamic uh, there a little bit. And there were some uh, special teams plays you could throw in there as well, where, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, the plus territory punt that goes into the into the end zone for the punt team or the punt return team getting a couple of kicks down inside the 10. I mean, that that in a game like that, right. that that certainly matters. That hidden yardage uh, makes a difference. The other big play that was on this the 16 play 92 yard second half touchdown drive. And I'm curious your thought was the, you know, it was the 15 yarder on third and seven to Samuel because that kept the drive alive. Yeah. And and um, I mean, it was it was it was a high low concept, but it was really well timed because I did not think that Harris played it badly as the closing quarter safety. No. But the, but the ball just got there. You know, Garoppolo timed it beautifully because it was a high low and he hit uh, Samuel right on his bender right when he got past the uh, the linebacker. I can't remember whether it was Wilson or, or Singleton. I think it might have been Singleton. Yeah, I think it was Singleton. Yeah, I think who, it was Singleton. But who did a good job? He actually took away a couple throws in zone coverage in this game. I thought or forced forced yeah. some checkdowns or forced a tough throw from Garoppolo. Uh, that but that one, they, you know, they, it was a great call against the coverage uh, and they and they attacked it for short for certain. All right, let's uh, let's get into the, this game here against Dallas. Now, I think it's really Cowboys interesting. Fran, it's Cowboys yeah, it's week. Cowboys week. And look, this Dallas offense, I think a lot of people have a certain vision of what this is. And the vision that we saw a year ago when Dak Prescott was healthy and the vision we saw in week one against the Bucks, that was kind of the same. And then you go back to 2019 and beyond, and maybe what we saw just this year in week two, more run focus, where uh, I think it's kind of interesting to see kind of yeah. the two identities here of this Cowboys offense. You and I talked pre-show. We feel like the one we saw last week against the Chargers might be more of what we can expect on Monday night here uh, in week three. Yeah, I mean, let's just go over a couple of things really quickly without making this, you know, a whole lecture. Keep in mind, the team they played week one, the Bucs. Number one, the Bucs can score a lot of points. Yeah. Number two, the Bucs play a lot of man coverage, cover one, and they pressure. So the Cowboys, I guarantee, felt that they had to match them TD for TD which means you got to throw the ball because percentage-wise, the explosive plays come out of the passing game. And they probably felt, hey, this was before Gallup got hurt. So they probably felt like, hey, we got three really good wideouts. You know what? If we have to throw against man coverage, we got three pretty damn good receivers. We, we can throw the football. And the other factor that's involved there, who had the best run defense in the NFL a year ago? The Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, that's right. So that was a game where they, I guarantee for those three reasons, they felt like, hey, we this has to be a throw ball game. Yeah. Last week, they played a Chargers defense. Uh, by the way, Brandon Staley, somewhat similar to Jonathan Gannon. Yep. As you probably know, they're very close friends. They both believe in playing a lot of split safety. We saw the Chargers play a lot of split safety as a foundation. When the two safeties are back removed from the ball at least 8, 10, 12 yards, you line up and you run the ball. And I think the Cowboys went into that game feeling like, hey, this is what we need to do. Then they got up 14-0. And I think the score in that game 
also enhanced that belief. So therefore they ran the football. Prescott only had 29 pass attempts, um, uh, 29 dropbacks, I should say, because he was sacked twice. And Pollard and uh, Z combined for 29 rushes. So they were extremely balanced in this game. And I think it was the nature of the opponent. And my strong feeling is, unless Jonathan Gannon were to change entirely what he's done the first two games, you're going to see the Cowboys try to run the football this week. Yeah, I mean, look, against the San Francisco 49ers, a team that we know that, uh, that everything is based on the zone stretch run game. Cowboys not exactly based on zone stretch, but if they want to attack the football with the, or att- attack the defenses uh, with the ground, you know, they're going to play those split safety looks. The Eagles stayed disciplined. They kept that safety yeah. back. They played with a too high shell. No reason to think that they, that was, that's going to change here this week. Now, it'll be interesting to see who's going to get a lot more snaps this week beginning in practice with the unfortunate injury to Brandon Graham, because obviously that changes everything on their front. I mean, you know, Hargrave has been phenomenal. I thought Fletcher Cox had some really good snaps this week. Um, you know, I thought they had to play the rookie Jackson, a meaningful number of snack snaps and no knock on him, but I didn't quite think he was ready for for that in this given game. Now, maybe with a week of practice, maybe, you know, getting more reps and maybe whatever, maybe he's more ready to go this week. Um, but obviously that changes their whole rotation. Yep. And it's important to note for our listeners that, you know, when you obviously both guys, you know, all these guys have DE next to their name in the depth chart. But you have to keep in mind in these different looks and these different fronts, these guys wear some different hats. You know, Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett. They're spending a little bit more time out in the edge, right? But when they go into these five down looks, you're typically seeing Brandon Graham. He would slide inside as a four eye technique. And the guys that have been playing in that spot, it's been more Ryan Kerrigan, Fletcher Cox, Milton Williams. So who is going to get those reps from Brandon Graham? That's one question. And then when they're in nickel and it's a four down front, who's going to get those looks? Is that going to be Josh Sweat? Is that going to be Ryan Kerrigan? Is that going to be Teron Jackson? So I think that that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. It's not a uh, who is going to replace Brandon Graham across the board, but I think as a group, we're going to see those guys kind of chip in in different ways. Ideally, you're looking at, look, Josh Sweat, they just gave him the big deal this past weekend. You would think he he would be the guy that would get more of a lion's share of those snaps. But uh, again, I think that's important to note for people that look just at the snap counts on Sunday night or Monday morning, those guys get used in different ways based on the personnel packages. So if the Eagles no play question. more base, which they've played the second most base snaps of any defense in the NFL, I think that's part of who they played so far through two games, but they've played a lot of base defense. That's going to look a little bit different than if they're in their nickel. No question. And, and we don't know exactly how it's going to play out yet. We're speaking on Monday night and, and, you know, we just don't know now what the rotation will be. Yep. Who's going to get more snaps. Look, Milton Williams can play snaps outside too. He did that in college. Right. I think he's more than capable of that. So we'll see how they go about doing this. Yeah. That's a really good point. Uh, the matchups in the trenches. I mean, uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts on what you've seen so far from some of these guys for Dallas, Tyron Smith, healthy and looks like Tyron Smith for the first time, honestly, in a few years, Greg, this is the best that I've seen him look here in a couple of seasons. Uh, Connor Williams now, it was a year three or year four for him at left guard. Tyler Beatish is the center second year guy out of Wisconsin. Zach Martin, uh, he's healthy now and he looks yeah. like his normal self. Lyle Collins did not play this past week and Terrence Steele, the second year tackle, former undrafted free agent had a rough year last year as a rookie. I thought he looked pretty good this past week against uh, the Chargers. I thought, and I'm being totally honest, I mean, I remember, you know, obviously I remember seeing him last year, and, and quite honestly, I thought he was... It was rough. Yeah, it was rough last yeah. year. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. 
I thought in this game, you could almost say there were times he was truly dominant. Mm. There was one block on an eight-yard run by Zeke where he just, it was Tillery too, where he just, I mean, that was as good as it gets. Do you remember that run? Yeah, I mean, this guy, he's a big boy. He came from Texas Tech where obviously they're not known for these kind of blocks. You know, he's blocking down. But I'll tell you what, that's that's a large man, and he can, he can move people for sure. And I thought in the run game, he was really, really good yeah. consistently. I thought in the pass game, he was much improved from a year ago. Had one or two snaps in pass protection, you know, that I'm sure he'd like to have back. But they weren't yeah. horrendous. They just weren't really good. But in the run game, man, he was – I thought he was something to behold. I mean, they – and most of their big runs came to the right side of their offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll, that'll certainly be interesting to watch if he's the one that's in there again, uh, just against, obviously, because that's where Brandon Graham has typically lined up in the past. Who's going to match up against Terrence Steele? Uh, we know Zach Martin. We know Tyron Smith. The matchups there with Hargrave and Cox on the interior against Williams, Biotish, uh on that side, the center-left guard uh, duo yeah. there. Greg, I mean, Hargrave, again, was just dominant this past week. Cox is, has, you know, he looks like Fletcher Cox. I, I struggle to think that there's a better D-tackle pair in the NFL right now playing the way that these two are playing right now. Yeah, they're playing really well. I mean, it's it, it shows up. Like I said, I think that front group, and it's really a front five and then a yeah. two-stack backers, um, I think they're playing really well. Don't forget yeah. they just played a really tough run game, Yeah, and they, and they really did a good – I mean, obviously, Hasty broke the 21-yarder late, and you know the game at that point had a whole different feel to it. But for the most part, they did a really good job. But – They'll they'll be up against another tough run game this week. I mean, I thought Zeke actually looked good last week. I know people have been down on him, Um, you know, obviously because of Pollard having the 21 snaps and 16 touches and going 13 for a 108 in the run game. People are talking about Pollard, who does have more pure juice than Zeke, but he's always had more pure juice than Zeke. But I thought Zeke looked pretty good. Pollard certainly got some juice. Uh, he he gets the top speed fast, and Zeke went. Look, you get him going. I mean, he had a couple where uh, yeah. he was shot out of a cannon, and he runs hard, man. I mean, he still he still does that for certain. Um, you know, when you look at him, certainly uh, coming downhill at you, and they and they do a couple different things in the run game. Real quick, just talking about these receivers. Uh, CD Lamb, uh, I know he's had some drops issues so far, but uh, this is a guy that shows the ability to get open. That one route he ran, uh, I know you saw it, it was the top of the screen, uh, as 12 personnel said, I, they motioned out, they knew they had uh, the isolation at the top. And You're talking he about did, where they were 12 closed, twins to the field? Twins to the and field, he, he ran that little post-corner route. Against, uh, against the Sante Samuel? Oh, my, I rerun that bad boy like uh, oh, seven, yeah. eight, nine times. There's a hell of a route. Well, it's funny you say that because that's a big trend I've noticed in the league this year is more 12 closed, twins to the field because you pretty much guarantee one-on-one with the outside receiver. I was going to say, take, take us through when you say 12 closed, the twins to the field. What is that? Explain that right. to the listeners. So what it is is you line up with two tight ends and one back. Uh, and the two tight ends are to the short side of the field. They're both attached to the formation. So they're so the boundary is closed. There's no receiver outside of them. So they're attached to the formation. So that means it's a closed side of the formation, and that's to the short side of the field to the boundary. Then on the field side, the wide side, you've got two wide receivers. So we call that twins to the field. And they can have any number of splits. You can do whatever you want. But if you if you widen them out a bit, in other words, if the if the outside receiver is outside the numbers and the slot receiver is a little closer to the formation in a true slot, what you almost always get, almost always, is you get that outside receiver. If he stays outside the numbers, 
it's just one on one with the corner. Right. Yep, it's that's just one on one. So it. that's that's all it becomes. And you and if it's zone, you can take care of the underneath coverage with your back going that way. So it just becomes one on one, and that's what that play was. Um, and Lamb ran a great route. But I've seen that more and more in the league this year. You know, to the point where I feel like it's a big trend. I look when I look at this offense, just in general. I think when you speak to the scheme, you look at Kellen Moore. He's been there a couple of years now, uh, working with Dak. I think the, all the different things they do schematically. At the end of the day, the big theme for me is that they work to get Dak as many questions to the test or answers to the test yes, before yes. the snap. They're they're trying to get him as much information before. So whether that's formation variation, pre-snap motion, you're going to see all the different bunches and shifts. Uh, they do a good job with condensed formations, everything yeah. to try and get him information. And it's a lot of different things, but uh, I think that's a credit to them. Schematically, they do a lot of really good things, both in pass game and in the run game. And I'll tell you what, they clearly give him a lot of freedom because none of us know what he does at the line of scrimmage. You know, we, we don't know right. that. But he does a lot at the line of scrimmage. So they give him freedom. They wouldn't give him the freedom if he couldn't do it. Yeah, so sure. it, it obviously means that he's well aware, that he understands what he's looking at. So whether he's just changing something to go from one side to the other with the run or whether he's truly changing plays, we don't know. I, I love when people think they know, but we don't know. But we know that he talks a lot at the line of scrimmage and does stuff. So he only does it because he can do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't let him do it. That's right. All right, well, let's take a look at this uh, this Cowboys defense. And uh, obviously a, a huge problem for them a year ago, right? I mean, very undisciplined. He was missed tackles yeah. left and right. Uh, all three levels, just, you know, there's bad energy. You just had bad vibes watching them on film. Uh, I know from talking to you that it's, and just from watching the film, a little bit different here this year. Uh, it's a little bit of a different feel watching this unit on this side of the ball. You know, I watched him week one, obviously, against the Bucs, and then you probably did too. And, you yep. know, Look, it's Brady, and and he's so good, and you know it's it's you notice certain things, but you you know you just you kind of come away going, you know, Brady made some ridiculous throws, right? Um, but then I watch him this week, and I'm I'm watching him, and I'm just going, boy, this defense has a lot of speed. They are playing fast. They're active. I mean, everything to me just looks different. And it's Dan Quinn who's the D coordinator. And for those who really have followed the NFL for a number of years might remember Dan Quinn was the original defensive coordinator for the Legion of Boom, where they played cover three. They were pretty static, but they had Chancellor as the big-time box safety. They had the best free safety in the game in Earl Thomas, and they could get to the quarterback. I mean, you know, they just had players. And then, obviously, it didn't work out in Atlanta, where last year the defense was horrible. And I'm sure when he got hired by the Cowboys, I'm sure a lot of Cowboys fans thought, oh, my God, Dan Quinn, he's been terrible. But I got to tell you, Dan Quinn has evolved. Now, this is not the Dan Quinn defense that people might remember. I mean, they their profile is totally different. I mean, this team plays a ton of cover one, which is man. Um, they play cover four as, as their predominant zone, not cover three. They play cover four. Um, he's far more multiple with his front looks than he has been in his past. They play fast and uh, they're kind of fun to watch. I mean, no question. Hey, you talk about the speed at all three levels. Uh, yeah. When you look at Micah Parsons, obviously, look, he, he made the move now to defensive end. No Demarcus Lawrence. He's their best player on defense. That is a big loss for them. No question. Uh, but they moved Micah Parsons from linebacker to DN. 
Didn't look too shabby doing that against, obviously, albeit it was against a, a backup right tackle this past week against the Chargers. But, uh, I mean, this guy is just so, so, so sudden, so explosive. Oh, uh, yeah. His ability, I mean, you get him a runway, uh, this guy is just a terror. Um, but across the board, I think that this is a, I agree with you, it's a very fast group. And watching Dan Quinn's defenses, even when they were, like, bad statistically, you still had, like, that identity of, it's a fast, aggressive group that flies around to the football. And yes. so, uh, you know, getting some of these guys, you know, some of his guys in KZ uh, playing at free safety, he had a pick in the red zone this week. Keanu Neal, who they've transitioned to linebacker. Uh, you talk about Parsons, you get Carlos Watkins on the inside. Odigi Zua is playing good snaps for them at three technique. But you throw in the speed of Randy Gregory and Darrance Armstrong's kind of flying around out there. And you obviously they've got the, the other two backers who they've got holes in their game, uh, Smith and Van Der Esch, But, you know, you have them playing with this kind of energy. Energy and they feed off each other. You know, Trevon Diggs is a, a very emotional player, but a really physical one. He had the great pick uh, on the opening drive this week against the Chargers. I mean, they've got talent. It's a matter of now that they're they're playing hard and they're playing fast. And they they basically play as their base. They play big nickel with J. Ron yeah. Curse. He is all great. over the field, Greg. J. Ron Curse. I Kurtz. know. I was going to say it's a great role for him because obviously he came into the league from Clemson, you know, big time player in college, but he's 6'4", 220-ish. There wasn't really a spot for him. He's not really a true safety. He's not a back-end player. I guess some might have thought he could transition to a linebacker and be a true linebacker, but that didn't happen. So now he's basically, you know, he plays kind of a hybrid safety linebacker role because they don't really play a, a base 4-3. They play big nickel versus yeah. that guy. And he matches up to tight end. And yep. he's been doing a pretty good job. He's he was all it was. I was watching play. I was watching it with Ben earlier today, uh, and it was just like there's 27 again. Oh, there he is in coverage. Watch him as a blitzer. Watch him come downhill against the run. Here he is yeah. in depth. In depth. Oh, there he is in the in the red zone. It seemed like he was just all over the field. Uh, that's that's a good good pickup for them. And again, it just kind of guys that fit that identity of what Dan Quinn is looking for. And, and they're, look, are they going to finish the, the, the league you know, or the finish the season as a top five, top eight defense in the league? Probably not. But I think this is a group that's going to be feisty for sure. It's a fast, fun. Yeah. Group and study. I think, you know, obviously <clears throat> they'll keep looking to improve the corner. I mean, they did draft yep. the kid from um, Kentucky, the former LSU recruit, Kelvin, Kelvin Joseph. Yep. Certainly he had first round ability. I know he had some issues, I guess. Is he injured or on COVID? Whatever he is, he's he's not available right now. I don't know how they see him going forward. I mean, he certainly has the ability to be an NFL starter uh, because if he can reach that level, both mentally and physically, then they'll have two really good outside corners, too, in, in Joseph and Diggs. Yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of man coverage, but they're still playing uh, a decent amount of cover four. That's their go-to zone concept. So the Eagles will have to have uh, some of those man beaters and some of those quarters beaters uh, ready and dialed up, which is honestly, that's kind of what they saw this past week. We talked about the 49ers a week ago, yeah. how they were primarily cover three uh, in week one. They switched things up to Miko Ryan's uh, and they saw a lot more quarters and a lot. And honestly, there were some really good quarters reps of the DBs passing things off in the back end by San Francisco. Oh, but, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There are uh, a couple uh, of really good ones. Yeah. So yeah, really, I mean, I honestly, the, there was the yeah. deep post to Rager that uh, the safety came over and played it over the top. Uh, that, that was, and that, that and was, that was perfectly a clear executed. quarters beater because what yep. they did is they ran the two man route concept with the post by the outside and then the, um, kind of the out route by the, by number two. And I'm sure based on their film study, they, they measured the out route. So they thought that the uh, safety would jump it and they get Rager, you know, versus the outside leverage corner, but the 49ers played it really well. Yeah. So I, a lot of the same coverages they saw last week against San Francisco, if things hold true, they should see uh, some of those same ones. 
on Monday night. Well, Craig, uh, this should be a fun game. Uh, I, I'm excited. Obviously, the Eagles-Cowboys, always interesting. Typically, these two teams will get at least one primetime showing uh, this year. This time, it's on Monday night football. We'll be set to break it all down next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com slash fly. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. So great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out today to someone who did exactly that. Michael J left a five-star review saying, I was surprised that Alex Singleton only played in the nickel and dime back in week one my impression from last year was that he excelled defending the run does this mean that it is likely that singleton will mainly be dropping back in zone coverage this season what do you think of this so michael it's a good question and i think when you look at singleton's best traits number one uh his ability to find the football he's got outstanding range and coverage ability people you know look at him and say oh he's not a great athlete i think he moves plenty fine in space he's not a guy that you love in man-to-man coverage he's not a great man-to-man player But he's got plenty of range. And so when you drop him back in zone coverage and ask him to rally to the football, he could do that well. There was a play uh, in this game where I thought that he helped create an incompletion on third down by Jimmy Garoppolo in the first quarter where, you know, he stepped up against the play action fake, then got great depth in zone coverage, made that a little bit of a tougher throw. Garoppolo had to layer that throw over Singleton. He ended up airmailing it nearly was an interception by Anthony Harris. And I think that's an example of the range that Singleton has. And we see that against the screen as well. I think when when it comes to the rotation of these Eagles linebackers, and by the way, we did see Singleton in the base defense in week two. um, So you see you're seeing some shuffling around of the pieces there. But I think ultimately, when you look at these linebackers right now, number one, they're still figuring out what are the best pairings. And we've seen that all through training camp. We talked about it all the time, how it was a daily rotation of who was working with the ones in this group versus that group in nickel, in this, in bigger nickel, in space, with all the different packages that they've got. And I think when you look around the league, there have been a, a handful of teams, you know, one off the top of my head, the Baltimore Ravens, where they have, if one, when they're in nickel, the linebackers look one way. When they're in base, it's two or three different names that come in and play uh, in their base package. And I think that's the way that the Eagles are attacking this right now. And so we're seeing all the different linebacker combinations. We talked about that earlier with Greg. We talked about it last week after the Atlanta game as well. We'll see if that continues through the rest of the season or if they kind of settle in and say, all right, this, this is going to be what our group is. These are our top two or three names uh, to watch here at the linebacker position. So uh, it's a, a good question. Appreciate you uh, asking that. And thanks so much for the support, not only of this show, but all of our podcasts here with the Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.